Luke chapter 1, verse 46. And Mary said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. Thank you for standing in worship. Last uh, Wednesday evening, if you were here or was able to watch online, we examined a passage just prior to this in Luke chapter 1, where the angel Gabriel arrives and shows up at uh, Mary's uh, place and gives a divine announcement that she's going to give birth to the Son of the Highest. Serving as a role model to you and I today, we know that Mary embraced this call, this unprecedented call upon her life to play a vital role in God's plan for redeeming humanity. Verse 38, we focused on near the end of our time last week, where Mary's response is really the ideal response of every believer when she said, Be it unto me according to thy word. Amen. To God that all of us, that that would be the testimony for all of us. That God's call on our life, God's unfolding call on our life would be, and our response would be, Lord, according to thy word, be it unto me. Amen? Amen. We're having fun today, aren't we? I never see that, but I can see that. Amen. It's Christmas time. So following this time, this interaction with Gabriel, Mary immediately travels the approximately 70 miles back to Jerusalem. Because just like you and I, Mary is rushing just as fast as she can to affirm what Gabriel had given her as a physical sign. If you remember, Gabriel had said... I'm going to give you some proof. Your barren cousin who is old, Elizabeth, she's six months pregnant. And with God, nothing is impossible. So Mary gives the proper response, faith-filled, be it unto me. But then, just to make sure, she rushes back to Jerusalem to see, is it true? Is what Gabriel said really, in fact, true? And she enters into the house of Zacharias in verse 40 of Luke 1, and she salutes Elizabeth and greets her. And verse 41 says, And it came to pass that when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Ghost. Amen? I know some of you moms and my wife felt like our children leapt in her wombs a few times. But this wasn't just a normal leaping. This was inspired by the Holy Ghost. And uh, Elizabeth is empowered by the Holy Ghost. Enabled by the Holy Spirit, Elizabeth gives a prophetic voice to John the Baptist who's still in her womb. John recognizes who it is who's just showed up, who's also in the womb, but in the womb of Mary and, and Elizabeth, inspired by the Spirit, arises and gives voice to what John recognizes 
And she spake out aloud and said, Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For lo, as soon as the voice of thy salutation sounded in my ears, the babe leaped in my womb for joy. And blessed is she that believed, for there shall be a performance of those things which were told her from the Lord. Elizabeth's blessing of not just Mary, but on the unborn Jesus, that the fruit of her womb suggests that Elizabeth has a prophetic awareness that this is more than just a story about Mary. This is about God's master plan for redeeming His people. This is about God's people everywhere for all time. It is about Mary, but it is more than just a story about Mary. It is about her role in God's plan for saving people. Even more dramatic, I find, in Elizabeth's blessing over Mary is that her proclamation, if you would, that Mary is the mother of my Lord. There is a lot that is loaded in that description. But here we find yet another clear demonstration of the oneness of God in Luke's birth narrative. You, you see, you just don't have to work hard to have a biblical understanding of who God is. You have to really work hard to try to figure out how God is not what we read about in Scripture, but is merely the figment of imagination that the church came to believe that he's some triune uh, God who is a trinity of co-equal, co-eternal, co-existent persons and centers of conscience. You have to work hard to try to filter that through the lens of Scripture. But you can just read the birth narrative and come to a clear conclusion of the biblical understanding of who God is. He is God with us. And here yet again, Elizabeth declares, You are the mother of my Lord. The Greek word translated Lord here is kurios, which is simply the Greek transliteration of Yahweh. It's not complicated. What Elizabeth is proclaiming, inspired by the Holy Ghost, is that this is the absolute oneness of God, that Jesus, the Son of the Highest, is not just another sent from Yahweh, but Mary, that which is in you, this is Yahweh. This is God come. This is God manifested in the flesh. And if you believe that, would you say amen? Amen. You can't read the Christmas story and not have understanding or not have a teaching moment of who God really is. So, following Elizabeth's prophetic blessing, Mary then responds with what we began in our text a little bit earlier this evening called Mary's Song. Or the Magnificat is maybe another common term for this song. Mary's song is a reflection, ten verses. It is a reflection of God's work of salvation. 
is firmly rooted in the context of Luke 1 and Luke 2. But it's also rooted in the context of the grand stage of God's redemptive history and salvation of His people all the way back through time. Similar to Jewish hymns of Mary's day, it seems that Mary composes this spontaneous song that reflects a virtual collage of Old Testament scriptures and songs. Have you ever, uh, kind of maybe to bring it home to where we live, have you ever been in a time of prayer or you've been in a time of worship and, and you just start quoting or paraphrasing this scrambled assortment of Bible verses and songs that maybe we sing at church? I don't know, maybe, maybe it's just me and Mary who are weird, but I'm often prone to quoting and paraphrasing scriptures, pulling them from all over the Bible and songs and phrases as I pray and as I worship to God. You know something like, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless His holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all His benefits. For Lord, You are a good, good Father. That's who You are. And and Lord, You are good. And so I will enter into Your gates with thanksgiving. And I will enter into Your courts with praise. Because, you know, when I think of the goodness of Jesus and all He's done for me. My soul cries out, hallelujah, praise God for saving me. You know, who knows where all that's coming from, but it forms this collage of praise and adoration to the Lord. And that's sort of what Mary's song is. She is simply bringing together pieces and portions of Scripture from throughout the Old Testament or what we would call the Old Testament and she breaks out into this song of rejoicing. And Mary sang or said, My soul doth magnify the Lord, and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. For he hath regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden. For behold, from henceforth all Generation shall call me blessed. For he that is mighty hath done to me great things, and holy is his name. And his mercy is on them that fear him from generation to generation. He has showed strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their hearts. He hath put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them of low degree. He hath filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he hath sent away empty, sent empty away. He hath helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to his seed forever. Now Mary's song is certainly interwoven together and tied in with words and phrases that are parallel to one another. But it does seem to naturally divide into two even sections of five 
verses each. It is the first section when we read or hear it. It's all about what God has done for Mary. But then in that second section, it turns and it's about what God is doing for His people. So let's take a few moments this evening in this Christmas season and maybe pause and reflect upon something that we may would just quickly scan over or read through and not stop to consider what it is and what its impact may be on our lives. Mary begins this incredible song with rejoicing. My soul doth magnify the Lord and my spirit hath rejoiced in God my Savior. When she says my soul, when she says my spirit, it represents her whole being. It is a description, it is a phrase that is saying in everything that I am, with all that I am, I will magnify the Lord. I worship Him with all of my being. Her words reflect several many Old Testament passages like Psalms 34 and 3, O magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. Or Habakkuk 3 and 18, I, yet I will rejoice in the Lord and I will joy in the God of my salvation. This opening, these opening verses and really the entire song closely parallel Hannah's song when the, after the birth of her miracle son Samuel in 1 Samuel 2 and 1 and Hannah prayed and said, My heart rejoice in the Lord. Mine horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth is enlarged over mine enemies because I rejoice in thy salvation. And so Mary rejoicing in God's salvation is describing this and breaking forth in this song. She continues, For he's regarded the lowest state of his handmaiden, and behold, all generations are going to call me blessed. He that is mighty hath done for me great things, and holy is his name. Mary's low estate reflected more than just her personal status. And Luke is pretty clear about Mary. She apparently was of a low social status and economic status. But this is not just only about Mary as we've seen. But Mary's low estate is also reflective of the low estate of God's people who have been judged by God and who are now under the dominion of a foreign power, Rome. And so it is not just about Mary. It is about God's people in general that he has stretched forth his arm and he has lifted up the lowly. In, in her words also she says he is mighty describing God as a mighty warrior. Again, not just for Mary, but for his people. This terminology specifically, specifically, yeah, say that three times. You know, it's not complicated. I've already said a Greek word, and this is simply English. Specifically, Mary is referring back 
to the original exodus from Egypt. When we read in Deuteronomy and we read in Exodus about God redeeming His people out of Egypt, we often see this phraseology of the mighty arm of God or the hand of God at work. So Mary, again, this collage, she's pulling from the Psalms, she's pulling from Deuteronomy, she's pulling from the prophets, and she's composing this magnificent song of adoration, celebrating God's redemptive work among His people, that God is doing a mighty work, not just for me, but He's at work for His people. And expanding that theme, she says, Holy is His name. And throughout the Old Testament, every time or often when, the name, when the, there is a reference to the holy name of God, it is the depiction of God's soon coming, the expectation of His salvation of His people, or if you would, the second exodus. So Mary is seeing a song that is encompassing and referring back to God's act of bringing His people out of Egypt but it's also referencing this anticipation that the Messiah is going to come. And once and for all, He's going to redeem His people. He's going to free them from the dominion of this world and forever they will rule and reign with Him. And so all of this is going on in Mary's magnificent song. So although Mary is certainly rejoicing about God, what God has done for her. She's celebrating that she has found favor as the handmaiden of the Lord. There is also this prophetic understanding in Mary's song. And her song is incorporating a much larger work for it is God's redemptive work and God's redemptive salvation culminating that God is initiating in her and through her. This is all confirmed by the final verse of that first half, verse 50, where there is clear assimilation of covenantal language between God and His people. For Mary sings, And His mercy is on them that fear Him from generation to generation. And so the uplifting theme that comes out of Mary's song, this first part, is that what God has done for one... He is going to do for all. That Mary is but the beginning. That Mary is initiating this decisive act of salvation that's going to do far more than just lift her up out of a place of low estate. But when it is all done and the Savior is born and later when He gives His life and is buried but is raised from the dead, that what is initiated through Mary is going to lift up all people. It is a work that's going to swing open wide the doors to the throne room so that whosoever will can come boldly to the throne of grace. That God's mercy is now being shown to all people. And so the second half continues this theme and continues to unfold the theme as Mary pulls back to focus now not on herself, but on God's people. Luke 1 and 51. He has showed his strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud. He's put down the mighty from their seats and exalted them 
of low degree. He's filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent empty away. In these verses, Mary is singing in the, of the future. She's, she's singing about what is not yet, but she sings as if it's already done. It's already in the past. He's showed his strength. He hath scattered. He hath put down. He hath exalted. He hath filled. And the rich he hath sent empty away. God has already done it. Mary's use of past tense here conclusively demonstrates the utter certainty of God's saving work. Mary is declaring in her song, it's not yet. He's not even born. He certainly hasn't trudged up Calvary's hill. He certainly hasn't rose from the dead. And there is not yet a Pentecost. But I'm going to sing as, is it, as if it's already done. Because I know that what God speaks, it is certain. And because it is certain, I can sing with expectancy. I can declare as if it's already done. It shall come to pass. It's going to happen. Similarly, her imagery of arm and the hand of God, as mentioned, has already been used throughout the Old Testament, describing God redeeming His people out of Egypt. But it also anticipates that second exodus out of bondage of sin. The language throughout the second half is language of reversal, and it mirrors the Old Testament description of the reversal of God's people from a place of oppression to a place of deliverance, from a place of being in desperate need to a place of blessing, from a place of feeling like they are out of favor with God to now a place of being in favor. She says the mighty are brought down. Those of low degree are exalted. The hungry are filled, but the rich are empty-handed. When we see this imagery of the proud and the powerful and the rich, they're representative in Luke of those who oppose God's work throughout time, those who oppress others and those who, who accumulate gain by exploiting their positions. But Mary declares this universal truth of Scripture that God is both a God of mercy and a God of might. That God extends mercy to the humble and to those who will obediently obey Him. But He always triumphs over those who oppose Him and His people. For those who would think that God's mercy is a weakness to be exploited and working against Him, Mary says, no, He lifts the low, but He brings down the mighty. He extends mercy generation after generation, but He will judge those who oppose Him. Mary then wraps up this incredible song by celebrating God's mercy towards His people throughout all of history when she says He hath helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spake to our fathers, to Abraham and to His seed forever. These final verses, like Gabriel's pronouncement of Jesus' birth just a few verses earlier, 
They link God's redemptive work being initiated through the birth of Jesus Christ all the way back to the promises he gave to Abraham. Isaiah 41 and 8 makes this link when, when the prophet said, But thou, Israel, art my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the seed of Abraham, my friend. God is speaking to his people through Isaiah, and he's linking all that he is at work at in this time back to his covenant with Abraham. Thou whom I have taken from the ends of the earth and called thee from the chief men thereof and said unto thee, Thou art my servant. I have chosen thee and not cast thee away. Her words point back to Psalms 98 and 2 which declares that the Lord hath made known his salvation. His righteousness hath he openly showed in the sight of of the heathen. He hath remembered his mercy and his truth towards the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth have seen the salvation of our God. This victorious God of Israel, Yahweh, Mary's song links into all of this understanding of the Old Testament that it is this God who is now mercifully revealing himself to all people, just as the psalmist anticipated, just as God told Abraham, you're going to be a blessing to all the seeds of the to the, all of the people of the world, that your seed will be a blessing to all people. Just as God declared that, now that is culminating in God revealing himself to all people through the face of Jesus Christ. You see, as God clearly demonstrated his mercy to Abraham when he spared Isaac, his son, with a substitutionary lamb, so now God will demonstrate his amazing grace to all people when he refuses to spare himself, the man Christ Jesus, in order that all people might experience his mercy. What he began through Abraham, he now will accomplish through Jesus Christ. And all of that Mary is rejoicing over because God has called her to play an unprecedented role in initiating this redemption plan through the birth of Jesus Christ. No wonder she burst out into that magnificent song. No wonder after the appearance of Gabriel and those incredible prophetic words. And then she visits Elizabeth and Elizabeth salutes her as the mother of my Lord. Mary could no longer contain herself to think chosen of God to realize that she gets to play a role in the master story of God's love for humanity, to be amazed that God would choose to exalt her and to bless her. Mary says, I don't know about you, but God's been too good to me to simply sit by idly or silent. I can't contain myself. My soul has to declare that I will magnify my Lord. I will praise my Savior. 
I will not seal my lips, but I will declare that just as he reached out and saved his people out of Egypt, and just as the prophets declared he would do so again, so now I am witnessing, in fact, that he is a God of his word, and it shall come to pass. Amen. Amen. Our worship team can make their way up. Fast forward to 2016, and here we are, Christmas time. I hope this is not you, but it seems like for many that Christmas has descended into nothing more than a massive stress zone, to-do lists and parties and social engagements and pressures and gifts to purchase, kids to please, family members to figure out, relationships to navigate. It's just a giant mash pit of chaos. I hope that doesn't describe you and your world. If so, I rise to encourage you to push back against the social and the commercial pressure that are trying to steal from you the real reason and the true meaning of the season. I would challenge all of us as believers to slow down, to pause, and to reflect on the true story of Christmas, Christ's birth. I would encourage you, in fact challenge you, to take time to read the birth narrative all over again. To take time and read it slowly and to read it carefully. That it's not just another fairy tale that warms our hearts but doesn't transform us. But it is the greatest story that's ever been told. That Christ came, God came himself. That you would take time and allow the precious passages of just Luke 1 and 2 to awaken in you a renewed, awestruck wonder of the love of God. That maybe you would humbly weep in adoration that God loved you that much that He came to save you Himself. I encourage you to not just do it for yourself. Maybe you know the story. Maybe it's just common. Maybe you can quote it from memory. But what about your kids? And what about your grandkids? I encourage you to read it. Take time to talk about it with them. Why don't you take time to reflect upon Gabriel's announcement? Mary's response, Elizabeth's declaration, or Mary's song. You see, I want my kids to understand, even from the Christmas story, that they need to have a biblical understanding of who God is. I'm not trying to win brownie points to oneness Pentecostals, but I think we don't we don't know as much as we think we know about who God is. We take it for granted and we can't explain it and our kids just assume that they don't even know and understand. But at Christmas time, you can read the Christmas story and you can help our children, your grandchildren understand a biblical understanding of who God is. Not what church tradition has handed down, but what the apostles declared and what Jesus declared under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that God, Yahweh, came Himself. 
that my kids to understand that the same God who met with Abraham and who rescued Isaac, the same God who led them out of Egypt and parted the Red Sea and made water come out of a rock, the same God who was with David when he killed Goliath and he was with Elijah and Elisha when fire came down from heaven, the same God that was with Daniel in a lion's den and the four, the three Hebrews in the fiery furnace, that that God that they read about and that they hear about that God did not send an emissary that God did not send a lieutenant that God did not send some lesser son but that God came himself that he loves them so much that he descended and he came down into this murky place called earth and he came to redeem humanity from their sins born of Mary, Christ the Savior, that you would allow the Holy Scriptures, just the birth narratives alone, to reorient your perspective. I know there's pressures in your life. I know there's social demands. I know you've got to navigate family and all of that. I understand. I understand that there may be sickness in your family. There are bills due. There's chaos in our world. But if I can get my orientation back to being biblically based, then I can, in the midst of all of that, I can, like Mary, I can understand Hey, there is a song that's still in my soul. There's a praise that's still in my heart. There's a worship that's still in my soul. That I am grateful to a king, my savior. That his mercies are new every morning. That he's called me to be an agent of his saving plan. That in him I have meaning. And in him I have mission. I'm not wandering through this world just trying to survive. I'm not just hoping I can make it to January the 1st. I'm not just hoping I can endure this season. But I have meaning and I have mission. He came. He redeemed And now I'm an agent of the salvation. I'm an agent of the gospel. I'm an agent of hope. And to everybody I see and to everybody I come in contact, I shouldn't be the stress point. I should be the beacon of hope. I should be the avenue of peace. I should be the one singing a song that says, I will rejoice in my God. I will declare his goodness. He has lifted me up. I was blind, but now I see. I have hope. I have purpose. I have meaning. Mary. Mary has a song, but I have a song. And Christmas reminds me, don't be silent. Make sure you sing your song. Because you have favor with God. And you've discovered the mercies of God. And you know Him as your Savior. And you get to join in with that song of celebration. Amen. If you're able, would you stand and join us? Amen. There's a great season in front of us. There's a lot to do. And the King is at hand. But I wonder before we go, would you join me at the front? And together, would we just take time to magnify the Lord? Would you come and for just a few moments here tonight, if you're able, would you have time to join that?
song, to lift up your voice and magnify our God, to adore Him, for He is Christ the King. He's redeemed us. His name is above every name. Amen. Amen. They're going to lead us in song, but would you join them with your voice? Would you join them with your praise? And let's lift up our Savior at Christmas time.